good afternoon, good morning, good evening, folks. Whenever you are listening to this, uh, happy fucking new year. Um, you, we are going to bring you today our end of year spectacular where we're going to run down our top tens, our biggest disappointments, biggest surprises, and our bottom fives. Uh, I'm Matt Foster, and I'm joined as ever by my host and the father of a beautiful baby girl. Ian Loring, hello. Thank you very much for the kind words there, Mark. You've got, you got a good good-looking daughter yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I, I'm, I am absolutely, literally loving every... Two, three times a day seeing your picture updates. It's brilliant. Yeah, she... We, we've been told she takes pictures well, and... She does. Yeah, she's got big fucking eyes, man. She's got big... And she does some good expressions, but yeah. Uh, Lottie Loring, um, which is great. I, I love that she's Lottie Loring. Um, yes. Yeah, um, for those who don't know, uh, if you are interested, she was born Saturday the 28th of December. Um, Donna was in the hospital for a long while. She was admitted on Boxing Day and she was discharged on the 30th. And it wasn't even a difficult birth. It was just because she had to be induced. It, it, it turned into a marathon. She was 15 days overdue. So um, good work, my wife, frankly. But um, yeah, yeah. So um, if I sound a little bit out, out of sorts and a a little bit out of it over the next uh, few weeks, that'll be why. But, um, yeah, it's good to be back, eh? Yes, very much so. Um, as I say, we've got um, our end-of-year show. Uh, we'll be back onto our regular uh, footing from from next week. Uh, but, you know, it's, these, are, these are shows that I must admit I do really look forward to. Um, you know, it's running down, seeing what we've watched, what we've liked, and everything like that. Last year, uh, we both had the same number one last year, didn't we? Uh, we did, yeah, the grey, yeah. yeah, of course we did, yeah, we yeah, both yeah. Had, had the grey, and strangely enough, the grey was the last movie I watched in 2012. Mm. Um, so, well, I figure we might as well just dive straight into it, Ian. Is there anything you want to add? Um, at Ian Loring, at Dude Files, at Dude and Monkey, Dude and Monkey at gmail.com, and uh, I will say as well, uh, our friend uh, Mike of Chinstroker vs. Punter has posted some. Uh, kind of teasery footage of a documentary he's working on uh, yes. online and uh, check it out yes certainly without question uh, check that out I'm sure we'll we'll be chatting to Mike about it in the future hopefully on the cast or something like that when nice. that gets closer to a, a, a release that'd be nice but um, yeah no let's let's get started then right uh, well without further ado um, as I went first last year Ian um, well before we do that um do you want to give us the parameters of what what made how things could qualify for you? Oh yeah, okay. So I I, I I bent my rules slightly. I just because you know I haven't been to any festivals this year, but I still wanted the uh, list to be to be somewhat like relevant in terms of like films that are around. So I went with basically any new release films that I saw in between last year's list and this year's list. With with a 2013 release somewhere in the world. Yeah, right. Um, mine was basically the same, to be honest. Yeah, mine was exactly the same as that. Um, also, we'll say uh, as always, we are all spoilers all the time. So uh, if you if the name of a film that you haven't seen comes up, uh, maybe skip forward a few minutes just to go through it because there will be some spoilers uh, there for these films. Um, right, Ian, 
Do you want to uh, throw your number 10 at us? Cool. Um, I will just say as well, actually, um, basically the way I did this was I picked three films that I gave five out of five on Letterboxd. My rubric for five out of five is that I was, uh, basically, I'd be happy not changing a frame of the film. That right. is my five out of five. That is my definition of a five out of five. People have said to me in the past that I give a lot of five, things five out of five, but I think there are... That, you know, there are levels of five out of five even, which is why breaking it down into a list kind of says, all right, my number 10 is less of a five out of five than my number one is is a five out of five. That's the way I work. Okay? And so I went through any films I gave five out of five on Letterboxd. So the ones that I gave a five out of five that I didn't include. Yeah. Do you want to do them now or do you want to do them when we get to number... Uh, I'd like to do them now because there's one that I, I would like to get your reaction on. Go on, then. Okay. Nebraska. Right. Blue Jasmine. Yeah. This is the end. Yeah. Rush. Yeah. Mud. Ooh, that surprises me. Mm. What Richard did, which is this great little indie film that not enough people saw, Zero Dark Thirty, and yep. one more, yep. Spring Breakers. Do you want me to give you my ones that didn't yes, quite please. make it? My ones that didn't quite make it are uh, that I would have given the equivalent of five out of five. Um, American Hustle. Fair play. Spring Breakers. Mm. This is the end. Mm-hmm. And Zero Dark Thirty. They were my five out of fives that didn't make it. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay, so with that out of the way, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested with the fact that with with, with one of them with Mud, because you were a huge fan of that. I right? really really liked Mud, and the thing is, my expanding my rubric has basically taken Mud and Spring Breakers out of the equation. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. Anyway, shall we start? Right. Yes, go. My number ten. It's a film that doesn't have a release date in the UK yet, and I don't know why, because it's pretty fucking fantastic, frankly. Well, it's my number 10 of the year. My number 10 of the year is The Spectacular Now. Um, now, this stars Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley, and Miles Teller is a presence that I kind of instinctively back away from, basically because he was in Project X, I think any any person who was in Project X, I will now I will now need to see them make up for that film. And he was also in that Twenty One All Over, which I haven't seen, so who knows? Which but isn't is is not good by any stretch of the imagination, but isn't quite as repugnant as um, Project X. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Now that yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Now. I think one of the reasons why I might might like The Spectacular Now so much is because it's actually from the writers of 500 Days of Summer, which mm. was a film that I really liked back in 2009. Um, it was my number two of 2009, actually. Um, now, The Spectacular Now. Um, yeah, basically, uh, Miles Teller, he plays essentially an alcoholic, but he's a senior in high school. Um, but he go he goes through life kind of coasting on his charm 
and his girlfriend Cassidy, played by uh, played very well by Brie Larson, uh, who mm. was also great in Short Term Twelve this year. It must be said. Um, they break up, and he then kind of basically hooks up with Shailene Woodley's character Amy, who is. Uh, a, a, a slightly more innocent presence and he kind of dragged not exactly drags her into his web of drinking but kind of like inducts her into his web of drinking and it's about their relationship and how it develops and how he there, there's some father issues going on as well but not the typical kind of daddy issues you'd expect and it and it all kind of comes to a head and he has to decide basically who he wants to be in life um now, I was talking about this with um, uh, David Hall, uh, David who writes for Verite and used to write for um, East England Film, and he was saying that it, it feels like a, a John Hughes film or a Cameron Crowe film in that it's kind of, it's aimed at teens, but it's going for very big issues for a teen audience. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's one of the, those teen films that I would hope Lottie watches in 15, 20 years and get something from, you know, and I feel that there is substance there. I think Miles Teller is fantastic in it. I think Shailene Woodley is incredibly sweet. And it, there's an interesting thing, like, you know, the whole Mary Jane controversy um, of earlier this year, where it was rumoured that she was cut out basically because they wanted to recast because she's not pretty enough. And she's not, she's certainly not a conventional beauty. And they kind of acknowledge that in the spectacular now. I mean, she's not ugly at all, but they acknowledge no. that in the spectacular now, saying that it's like, you really have to kind of look at her and get to know her presence. And then the kind of the beauty kind of shines through. And through her performance, it kind of shines through in this, this film. And she's, frankly, she's like radiant in moments. And it's really, really, really lovely. Uh, director, uh, was James, uh, James Ponsalt. Uh, uh, who, oh, he directed Smashed, that film with uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Aaron Paul, which I haven't seen but want to. Um, he's a director I'm interested in. Miles Teller and Shailene Woodley are actors I'm interested in. And it's a really, really decent piece of work. Yes, uh, he might crop up again later. Fair play, okay. Uh, your number 10, Mark? Uh, my number 10 I actually watched um, earlier this morning. Um <laughs> And uh, I'm, it's in my ten. It's at number ten um, because it, it's it's angered me a little, not not a little bit, a lot. Uh, but I think it was supposed to. Uh, my number ten uh, is Joshua Oppenheimer's uh, The Act of Killing. Uh-huh. Um, now, the 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 story of The Act of, uh, of Killing is um, Joshua Oppenheimer has basically gone to um a a self-styled gangster uh and wan congo uh, who was involved in the massacre and genocide of what were considered to be communist party members uh in 1965 and 1966 indonesia um these men who were involved in these mass murders uh, and this overthrowing of a, of a then communist Government uh, are now the people that are running the country and have, have profited dearly off it and have never been brought to task for their crimes. The idea that Joshua Oppenheimer has is to give uh, this guy the opportunity to make a, a, a film about about his experience and about the killings, and hopefully, the idea there is that it, it will give him chance to look at what happened and maybe realise some of the the wrongdoings of of, of what he did. Uh, and we we travel through with this guy uh, who reminisces with friends and 
um, now newly gained hangers-on, uh, sometimes with, in, in a very glib manner uh, about how he murdered people and how he executed people, and it, it's, it, it barely even seems to flicker a register of, 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 of how whether it was wrong or not. Um, and along the way, we meet other people within the Indonesian um government essentially um to the, to the point of where we meet the the vice president uh, and we see that there is um mass not even not even corruption because it's just an accepted part of it where intimidation and violence and uh, all of these various uh, things that we would associate with traditional american gangsters racketeering protection, protection racket gambling etc are how the government makes its money and how these people exploit it. Uh, and there's all these things, but it's shown this isn't, this isn't stuff that happened. You know, it, it, it's showing that for the past 50 years nearly, this has been how this country has run and these people are, are revered and celebrated. And it's the, the attacking of the idea of, um, of communism and the American idea of communism, um, and uh, as a communist state rather than the actual ideals of communism, it, it, it seems to it very much presents it like that. Um, it's one of those films where I, I think it. I, I certainly want to watch it again to see the bits that I might have missed or the nuances that I, that I missed out on. And it's one of those where it, it, I, I I'm fifty fifty on it. it. It could shoot higher up my list on a second rewatch or could shoot off it uh, spectacularly with a rewatch I I, I don't in a, in a way similar to the imposter I think the the end didn't have as big a punch with me as the rest of it it, it was the other bits that I that I got more out of the fact that you're looking at this 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 group of people who just don't seem to understand or care uh, about what their actions have done. Um, I don't believe that, that Anwar had a great moment of almost realisation or redemption or anything like that towards the end. I still think he, that he'll have gone away and he'll be sat now probably still laughing and joking about what he did. I think that there, it's, there's every probability that over the past 40 odd years, he's had those brief moments where the things he's done has got on top of him. Um, but it's it's an incredibly challenging um, and difficult movie to, to to watch certainly, and I can see why uh, Werner Herzog and Alan Morris were, you know, were very you know willing to allow their names to be put um, to this this movie. It's it, it, it's definitely uh, a, a thought piece, and it, it makes you think. It makes you look at look at humanity really. Uh, it, it's grubby and it, it's grimiest. It's coming up later. Is it? Yeah, yeah I, I thought it might do. It's a yeah. It, it's it's not a pleasant film to watch. Uh, I and there are people even more unpleasant than um, Anwar um, that that we we come across within the film. Um, I mean, there's a moment in the film where I almost switched off and thought, you know what, I don't, I'm done with this now. I don't want to spend any more time with this film. Mm. Um, but that isn't a, a criticism. I think Joshua Oppenheimer, it's a very 
it's a very well managed film. Uh, I did actually watch the standard cut. Um, I thought I was watching the director's cut, um, and then I paused to get a drink halfway through and realised I was actually watching the standard cut. So How I long will was watch it? Uh, 122 minutes. Yeah, okay, I'll watch the standard cut as well then. Yeah, so I'm going to watch the director's cut at, at some point, probably probably quite soon, to be honest. Um, but it, it, it's, a, it's a very, very challenging documentary, um, and I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, but it, it, it certainly achieves what it sets out to achieve, which is what documentaries are, are more for. Fair play. Cool, Ian. Go on then. Uh, what is your number nine? Okay, so my number nine is a film that only came out in the UK on Boxing Day, actually. Um, it's not 47 Ronin. Um, I haven't seen that film. Who knows? It might have made my list. Uh, my number nine is JC Chandor's All Is Lost, uh, which is um, essentially a better version of Gravity. Um, and it, <laughs> I mean, that, that, it, it is, that essentially is what it is. Uh, bad things happen, someone tries to get out of it. Except with this, you don't have um, dialogue that feels a little undercooked or a ever so slightly repetitive structure, despite the fact that it is bad things happening. It's just the variety of bad things happening. So it's Robert Redford in a boat. Uh, well, he starts off in a boat, and um, it runs into a or like a part of a shipping container or something off a shipping container uh hits his boat uh but kind of breaks it and uh it goes on from there the film is all about robert redford's performance barely says a word famously there's a monologue at the start and he has a few lines of dialogue but that's about it and um it's all in his face it's a man who you 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 don't really have any uh, real indication of what he's done in his life other than he has regrets. Um, and you see him trying to battle death, accepting death, then deciding not to accept death. And then uh, w what happens after that? And um, whether it, it whether it's seen as a pure survival thriller or as uh, an allegory for the financial crisis, which some people have attached to it. Uh, given JC Chandler's earlier margin call, that's not a surprise. But yeah. I, I think that there are various things you can read into various things that happen and what things can represent. However you slice it, it comes out great. Um, visual effects are used very well. Um, there are a couple of kind of action-y tension sequences which are fantastic. There's one shot involving kind of rolling around out of water and in water and out of water, which is fucking fantastic um and yeah it's just it's it's a bit of a thrill ride but one with a massive massive soul it's it's just really well fucking handled throughout and it's got an ending which is again you could slice it one of a few ways and i'm happy with my interpretation uh it's it's a really really good piece of work Cool, I'm very much, very much looking forward to seeing it. Mm. Your number nine, though. Uh, my number nine is is on here um, for the simple reason is it looks beautiful and it made me smile pretty much throughout. Um, it is the incredibly divisive uh, Only God Forgives, um, which is Nicholas Winding Refn and Ryan Gosling's follow-up 
to drive because it's not an actual sequel or anything like that. Um, a lot of criticisms of Drive is that it's it's too art house, that it is just a lot of pretty image images with very little story. It's too pensive. All it does is look nice. I'm fine with all of that. When it looks this nice, uh, I'm fine. I do think there is story there. I do think I do agree that the story is is slight, um, but so what? Um, you've got Ryan Gosling um, and Kristen Scott Thomas, both who who seem to be thoroughly on board with what um, Reffin's trying to do. Reffin also as well seems to well he seems to have within this film gone right. I, I've attracted a new audience off the back of Drive that I, I didn't expect. Um, now I'm going to really show them what I'm about with this film, knowing that this film is going to get more people interested in it and more people looking at it and watching it uh, because of Drive, and then he's given more of an accurate representation of, of, of his film. Um, because with Drive, and you know, I adore Drive, it was my film of the year uh, for 2011, um, with Drive, he was brought on as a director. It wasn't him pushing it forward. Uh, whereas Only God Forgives was the film he was actually going to make before Drive. Um, it's like I say, it it, it looks beautiful. It's it is incredibly pensive. It's tense. It's it's dramatic without actually being sort of weighty. Um, and I think it is exactly aware of what it is doing. Coming up later. Cool. <laughs> oh, Man United are out of the FA Cup. Of course they are. Are they? Yeah, lost 1-0 to Swansea, like the final minute Swansea scored, apparently. Oh, right. <laughs> Whoa. Ah, well. Concentrate on the league. I fucking need to at the moment, Jesus Christ! <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I I genuinely was was listening, but I just oh, hang on, yeah, no, two one, okay, yeah, one um, all, yeah, one. Oh, that's right, yeah, Routledge twelve, Hernandez sixteen, uh, Bonnie in the ninety. Uh fair enough. All right, so my number eight is uh, Ben Wheatley's A Field in England, um, which I think is an incredibly interesting piece of work um it's a black comedy a black 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 comedy um it's got visuals that will melt your fucking eyeballs um and it tells a story which i was into throughout frankly um he is still a filmmaker who just every single one of his films seems to be something slightly different but you can almost feel that it's the same guy um i think that reese shearsmith is fantastic and I, I think michael smiley's fantastic as well um it's just it's a bit of an experience as a field in england and i look forward to sitting in a darkened room with a big tv and a very loud sound system just embracing that film um i mean it's probably in the years to come it's probably going to be more notable for the way that it was released the whole day and date thing with like the tv transmission and the blu-ray and the cinema release blah 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 um but i think there's a great deal of 
interest in there, uh, frankly. Uh, it's a film that did reward a, a second viewing, and I think will reward repeat viewings after that. Um, and I... I don't know. I, I I just very very much like it. I haven't. I watched it twice in a week, and I haven't watched it since. So I am ever so slightly rusty on it, if I'm absolutely honest. Um, a lot of these films I've watched relatively recently uh, on on my list coming up. Um, but yeah, I am a massive fan of the field in England. It floored me when I first watched it. It floored me second time round, and uh, I do very much feel that it deserved a place on my list. Cool. Your number eight, bud. Uh, my number eight uh, is the uh, English language directorial debut um, from Park Chan Wook, uh, Stoker. Um, very much was very much looking forward to um, Stoker. Huge Park Chan Wook fan. Um, was also interested in the film with the fact that it was written by Wentworth Miller uh, of Prison Break fame, and and you know it's a. Uh, it's a decent cast, you know. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, Mia Wieskowska, um, but I think Matthew Good is one of those actors who, when he wants to be, uh, is a very, very um, compelling actor to watch. Um, and again, Nicole Kidman, when when handled by the right director, is a very can be a very talented actress. Um, it's it, it, it's for me was a little bit strange in the fact that. That Park Chan Wook for the first time working outside of um, of Korea, and he's made his shortest film. I mean, it's under a hundred minutes. Which often what people have said about Park Chan Wook is his films are great, but sometimes they do go on a little bit too too long. And mm-hmm. um, this one certainly doesn't. It's it, its pacing is incredible. Um, but as well with that it still manages to have quite a lot of story within it and it still manages to to have the the lingeringness of atmosphere that Park Chan Wook brings to his films. There's there's no he's not rushed it. He's not thought, right, I'm making a film now for an American audience, I'd better go quickly or anything like that. Yeah. He's he's still got shots where he's decided I wanna focus on that, be it the rolling of an egg or you know, scanning across the table or repeating shots or anything like that, and he's he's not just interested in showing you the story. He's interested in showing you all of the bits that surround the story. These little things, these little. It's as much about sound as well. There's a, a strong emphasis on that with this film and uh, editing. And yes, and, and certainly in editing, and it's it's the whole sort of thing. I, I think. Certainly, and I've only watched Stoker once, and I think it, it, it is one of those films where it will get better the more I watch it. I've just only had a chance to watch it once this year. Um, but in terms of a story, I, I enjoyed the story. It's creepy. It's, you know, Matthew Good is incredibly charismatic in the film, but you always get the sense that he's not exactly what he claims to be, um, and that there's there's something more sinister in, in him than than is on the surface um, it's the same with Nicole Kidman but you get the idea that she's just controlled by her own selfish indulgences uh, within that so yeah it's Stoker is, is my rate but it's a film where I think it, it will certainly reward on, on repeat watching it's coming up later I thought it might be yeah. <laughs> uh, right um, um, that was 
Go, go that on. was eight, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry, bud, go on. I just realised was... we're doing that on now, aren't we? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, well, what we're going to do is we're not... We're, instead of just running through our ten, we're going to break it up. Um, so... We've done ten, nine, eight. So now we're going to go into our biggest disappointments of the year, uh, which is just five. We'll give you those five. And then we'll be doing seven, six, five. Then we'll give you our biggest surprises. Then we'll give you four, three, two. And we'll give you our bottom five, which is always fun. And then we'll be giving you our film of the year. So, Ian, um, do you want to hit us with your... Number five biggest disappointment. I mean, all right. How how do you grade your disappointment? Because where I've done mine uh, is none of the films that are on any of my lists can be duplicated on another list. Okay, yeah, that's fine. They have they have to all be on that list on their own. Uh, my biggest disappointment are films that I went into the year either went into the year really looking forward to or. Um, had been built up to me as being great, and when I went into them, found um, that they, I left it feeling just what. So that that's how I, I judge my biggest disappointments. Yeah, I my my biggest disappointments. Again, I'm again, Letterboxd is so useful for this kind of stuff. I had a look through, basically the film the, the films I'd seen this year, and and I looked at my my markings for them and 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 just thought like was i expecting like how much more was i expecting really and i mean like i'll i'll, I'll go i'll just say that the other ones that were under consideration for me here anchorman 2 though i really did like anchorman 2 but it was disappointing yeah um, that was under consideration for myself as well yeah uh the fifth estate because it's a really interesting story of our times Benedict Cumberbatch and Daniel Brühl are both fantastic, and yet they starred in that film, and it's not their fucking fault at all. Um, Upstream Colour, um, because everybody had been jizzing all over it, and I have only seen it the once, mm-hmm. but I wasn't exact. I certainly wasn't too sure what all the fucking fuss was about. And the ABCs of Death, just because there'd been quite a bit of hype about that pre-release but then basically as soon as that film came out everyone stopped talking about it and with good reason yes um so yeah i'll say my number five jim mickles we are what we are which we reviewed on the show um because it's it's decent it is apps it is a decent horror film and if it wasn't from jim mickle whose previous two films i've really liked and if it wasn't a remake of we are what we are which i think is a fantastic foreign language horror film then it would have been fine. But because it was those two things, uh, I was left incredibly underwhelmed and just thinking, oh, shit, well, that's a shame, frankly. So uh, I know we're not going to get into as much detail with, with these no, sidebar no, no, ones, so I'll, I'll end it there. But yeah, my number five, we are where we are. Uh, my number five is, um, and I never thought I'd ever say these words, is um, Terence Malick's To The Wonder. Um, a, a huge, huge huge Malik fan. He's one of my favourite directors. I've adored everything he's done. Uh, I'm a complete apologist for him. But, and I've only seen it the once, uh, but To The Wonder didn't have enough for me to make me want to watch it. It was the first time where I've agreed with people about Malik and said that was just too much um, style of uh, absolutely no substance at all. It it wasn't even grand enough in its beauty to to allow it to just have that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm I'm gonna say nothing for now. 
Why didn't? What's your number four then? Uh, my number four, and I, I will say as well, actually, sorry, under, also under consideration was Elysium. Um, my number four was Sasha Gervais's Hitchcock, uh, because it's Anthony Hitchcock, uh, uh, Anthony Hitchcock, Anthony Hopkins as Hitchcock, which should have been pretty solid, I think. It's based on a great book, uh, Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho, which is a great book, no matter what this film is. Yeah. And, you know, Helen Mirren's in it as well. I mean, to be honest, the cast is great. I mean, you've got Scarlett Johansson in there as well, you know. Uh, Tony Collette, I believe, is in there. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a damn solid cast. Um, mm. So the fact that you've got this kind of soapy, slightly trashy um, thing... That doesn't really feel all that respectful of Hitchcock in the slightest. I'm not sure who this film was even made for. I, I, I know it was made for. It was, it's made for people who know the name Alfred Hitchcock and who know who and who will be impressed with the fact that oh, it's Anthony Hopkins as, as Alfred Hitchcock. That's going to be brilliant. Yeah, Bobbins. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Bobbins. Right. My my number four, my uh, biggest disappointment, is um, the remake of Carrie, uh, which we reviewed on the show not too long ago. I actually had quite high hopes for this. Uh, thought the casting made sense. Um, I, although I'm not a complete um, remake fub, um, thought, you know what? I don't hold the original that dearly. Um I thought, why not? Why not give it a go and see see what we can do? You know, it's it, it's in the hands of people who claimed to to actually sort of care and to not just be doing it for um, the brand recognition and for the money. And what we actually got was a um, an almost a point shot for shot remake uh, that had none of the power, none of the style, none of the pizzazz, none of the subtlety of the original film, um, and played out like a like a shit final uh, destination film. That boy. Yeah, that's that's a fair inclusion. Go on, what's your number three? Um uh, it's to the wonder. Um, <laughs> I've only seen I've only seen it once myself. Um but it's Felt like it did feel like Malik on autopilot for me. Mm. Uh, I know he he was I think he was juggling like two or three films at the same time with 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 To the Wonder. And to be honest, it, it, uh, it while making To the Wonder anyway and editing and it it kind of shows for me. Um, I think the some of the moments of the performances are frankly embarrassing for the actors, which I don't think you could say for a Malik film previously. Um, and like I mean, like I was watching it, and Donna came in and watched about five minutes of it, and just went, "This looks really pretentious. What is this?" And I kind of explained, and she and she was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, the, the 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 one who did Tree of Life, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense." This is, I mean, frankly, if this was someone's first Malik film, I think it would just put them straight off ever watching anything Malik did ever again, because yeah. it feels like everything. Yeah, like you said, everything that people have said negatively about Malik distilled in one film. And that's what it is. That that that's that that's that is my issue with it. Is it, I've always been able to defend every other Malik film, and I can't defend that. Yeah, yeah, it's 
I don't know, it's it's a massive shame because the Tree of Life, apart from, you know, the, the final 10, 15 minutes lets the side down for me for Tree of Life, but apart from that, it is a f- fucking exquisite film. And, and, and then you've got to the one that it's, it's, yeah, it's a massive, it's, it's a massive disappointment. Mm. Cool. Uh, my number three then. Um, my number three biggest disappointment, um, is, uh, The World's End. Um, I was very much looking forward to the, the culmination of the, uh, the Cornetto trilogy. Hey, I think it, this was the one where they had a, the first time they had a really proper budget and, you know, they knew they'd be able to market it correctly, and that essentially they could pretty much do whatever they want. Um, you know, David Wright had gone off and made a Hollywood movie in between. Simon Pegg has become a legitimate star, um, and what we got felt like um, a made-for-channel four TV movie um, that repeated itself over and over again and frankly was just boring i liked it more on rewatch if i'd only seen it the once it probably would have been in my list actually it would have been in my list second time round i warmed up to it a bit and i think i probably will warm up to it further in repeat viewings but i will say that first 10 minutes and the last five minutes are fucking embarrassing. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And, and I, I might watch it again at some point, but it'll probably be one of those watches where I end up watching it when it turns up on Sky Movies and I flick it on five minutes into it and go, ah, uh, why not? Uh, but yeah, I just, it was, it committed the worst crime for the majority of its runtime in the fact that I was looking at my watch a lot going... I think a massive problem with The World's End is the fact that Simon Pegg actually has to be called upon to do some acting. Mm. And also the fact that a lot of it is they go from one pub to another pub, have a drink. Then they go from one pub to another pub, have a drink, have a fight, and then go to the next pub, have a drink. Go to the next pub, have a drink, have a fight. And it, 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 the structure of the story in itself is repetitive. And they don't, they don't do enough different. There's there's some battle scenes and some fight scenes in it where they go on for five six minutes and it you're watching it and you're going. This could have been a minute long and it, exactly the same thing had happened. Yeah, I think that's fair. But it, yeah, I, I the the dialogue worked for me more. And to be honest, if Gary King wasn't in it at all, Simon Pegg's character, if he wasn't in it at all. And it was about just these other guys getting together and finding themselves in the midst of this alien invasion. Uh, I, I, to be honest, I think I would have been more into it. I don't blame you on that. Yeah, I mean, Eddie Marzan is amazing in it. And I think Paddy Considine is really solid. Then Nick Frost is as well, to be honest. Nick, I mean, Nick Frost actually does pretty well in the film. But any, anyway, discussion for another time, maybe. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cool. What's your number two in your biggest disappointment? My number two is one that only actually, funnily enough, The World's End would have been in this list first time round, but isn't after a second watch. This wouldn't have been in my list first time round, but was after a second watch. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, Because the first Star Trek is, uh, well, the the, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek is not a perfect film by any stretch. Um, But it's setting up some interesting ideas and 
giving new avenues for new ways to tell the story and have new characters, new enemies. Star Trek Into Darkness, it, it was all about the mystery box pre-release. And that kind of informed the story so much that it almost crippled it. The whole kind of, he's not Khan, 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 he's Khan. You know, yeah. which is how the film even kind of plays it. John Harrison, John Harrison, John Harrison, John Harrison. My name is Khan. You know, it, it's it, 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 it's bobbins. On a second watch, the film bored the living shit out of me uh, <laughs> in, in a lot of moments. The the whole kind of Peter Weller turn, whatever. Um, the replaying of moments from Wrath of Khan, but slightly twisting them is embarrassing it's fan service of the laziest fucking kind like jj abrams i'm i'm glad he's not going to be directly really involved in these films anymore because even though i'm not a massive star trek fan i felt insult i i i feel insulted by his level of fan service mm. just just the i i you know the this time it's it, you know this time it's Kirk in the in the radiation and and not uh you're not Spock but they're still gonna do the hand thing they're still gonna oh and this time it's gonna be Spock who does the con it fuck off so it wound you up a little bit <laughs> it, it, it winds me up more the more I think about Star Trek Into Darkness the more it winds me up and it it, it it that seems to have been the kind of the way that the internet has dealt with Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, it was kind of okay received when it first came out, and the level of hate towards it is built. And I noticed that as well on um, Slight Tangent. The Empire Magazine podcast, they were pretty all right with Star Trek Into Darkness when it came out. Funnily enough, they had a lot of interviews with the key talent on their podcast yeah, it's, that week. It's, it's, it's one of those... Yeah. And then when the review of the year came out, yeah, yeah, when the review of the year came out, suddenly it was, yeah, it really was a disappointment, wasn't it? And it, it just, but the thing is, I was like that as well. I was all right-ish with it. I think I gave it three out, three and a half out of five originally, so I wasn't that in the tank for it. But on rewatch, I think I gave it two and a half, and I could see, I, frankly, I never, I never want to sit through it again. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. Well, I mean, we, we saw it first time. Together, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah, Birmingham, yeah. Um, and I, uh, I enjoyed it, it, it enough. Um, it, 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 if I uh, compiled a, a full list of ranking every film from number one to number the worst of the year, uh, it would probably sit smack bang in the middle. But I'll, I'll be honest, I have, I have no, um, I have no intention to watch it again. To be honest, I don't after. Um, there's nothing in it that I go, oh, I'd like to see that bit again or anything like that. Totally. Um, right, my number two um, is Ridley Scott's The Counselor. I'm just sorry, by the way, I've just realised I think our number one's going to be the same. I mean, I'm actually intrigued, but I think our number one's going to be the same. I don't think it is. Um, number two is The Counselor. Unless I've missed something, I might have missed something. Maybe. Uh, it's, it's The Counselor. Um when you look at the the writing talent, and although yes, it's Colin McCarthy, it's only his um, second time actually trying to write a feature script. Uh, he did actually write one in the seventies, but you know the first time he's wrote a, a a screenplay since he's become a you know one of the most lauded 
um, living authors. Um, and the acting talent that's there as well, you're looking at going, and the this the kind of the great myth that has become Ridley Scott, um, you expected something marvellous, you know, with Javier Bardem and Michael Fassbender and Brad Pitt and, you know, Paddy Cruz and um, Cameron Diaz, you know, th- these are all very solid performers. Mm. Um, and then what you got was something that was not as trashy and as seedy as it thought it was going to be and... Uh, was a bit boring and although it was wordy and the words were intelligent the characters didn't seem to actually understand what they were saying it was like they'd been possessed by somebody who was far smarter than they actually were and it it, it just all felt a little bit silly and like halfway through Ridley Scott just got bored and just went "Uh, Michael you sit there Brad you sit there do you know your lines yeah right Put a camera there. Um, I'm off for a shit. Can someone yell cut? Right, cool. Come and knock me when you're done. And that just that's that just seemed like that was his entire approach to the film. Uh, a huge disappointment and a, a film which I, I could see myself watching again, but just to see if it really was as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, no. I do you know what? I actually overlooked this. The thing is. I went into it with lowered expectations because of what I'd heard. So I didn't, I don't know. I, it is, it should, do you know what? This should be on my list. I'll say that because of the cast and because of the filmmakers. But then again, Ridley Scott did do Prometheus, which even though I've kind of come to terms with is still not great. I was, I was looking through it the other day at the amount of really great Ridley Scott films and I was alarmed for a man who had his reputation um, and his um, standing and his ego. I was alarmed at the amount of great, you know, not decent, but great Ridley Scott films there actually were. Alien Blade Runner legend. Well, I'd say two of those. Alien Blade Runner? Yeah. Uh, and that was, you know, and when my third favourite Ridley Scott movie is Black Rain. <laughs> you see, the thing is, is, is if the counsellor had been more like Black Rain, yeah. I'd have fucking loved it. If it started with Michael Douglas in a leather jacket on a motorbike, yeah, you'd have loved, yeah it, no, fair yeah, play. It, 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 it is that. I, 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 said, oh, I, I actually said to you, fine, if this is really fucking sleazy, I love it. Yeah, but it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't sleazy enough. If you'd have, if you'd have slathered up another layer of sleaze onto it, I'd have been fine. Do you know what? I'll call my list the councillor memorial list because <laughs> I should have had the councillor on there. No, that's a, that's a fair point, man. Go on, then. What's your number one? I feel you're going to say this. I'm going to go, shit. Ruben Fleischer's Gangster Squad. Shit. <laughs> yes. Mine's going to be the Ruben Fleischer's Gangster Squad memorial list because, yes, that would have been that would have been on my list. It would have probably been number one or number two. Sort of knocked everything else down. Oh, I've just figured out why it's not on your list. Yeah, no, all right, fair enough. Is it? Is it for the reason I think it is, or is it because you overlooked it? I overlooked it. Oh, fair enough. All right. I, well, I overlooked it. Nice bit of symmetry there, then. Fair play. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Sean Penn, Ryan Gosling, Josh Brolin, 
Anthony Mackie, Robert Patrick, Emma Stone, um, Giovanni Ribisi. What the fuck? <laughs> yep. So uh, it, 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 it seems like that the Untouchables, the movie, picked up Gangster Squad, chewed it up, and then shot out Dick Tracy. It's, oh, that's perfect. That is perfection. I, I just... I mean, like, Ruben Fleischer, I think, I, I, you know, Zombieland was all right, 30 Minutes or Less was all right. You know, it wasn't particularly because of that. It was the cast. It's Sean Penn as Mickey Cohen, and then a bunch of those guys as the person going against him. I mean, I gave it I gave it two and a half out of five on Letterboxd, you know, so I don't hate it. But fuck me. It's not very good. <laughs> yeah, it's not a terrible movie. It's just not very good. I don't it, think it's, it's I don't remember thing. a thing about it apart from Ryan Gosling God and Ryan Gosling's weird Yeah. Yeah. All I remember about it is Ryan Gosling's weird voice of, of of going, God he looks fucking cool. I I bet I bet he's gonna bang the shit out of what what what's he doing? Oh no. Oh god. Yeah, it it's it uh yeah, it's just not very good. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's 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 just really it, it is just really it, it is just bad you know yeah. I mean, but it, it's just that cast it should have been so good but they're all kind of I mean Sean Penn's doing his own thing Ryan Gosling's doing his own thing Josh Brolin's trying to be a generic it, it's like he's trying to act as generic as humanly possible yeah. and it, it just I don't know man it, it is it is thoroughly a film where in the hands of a different director that could have been a really great movie. Oh, God, And I, yeah. I like Ruben Fleischer's other films, but that was just a... That, it's just not his world it's to play. It's a step too far for him, man. Like, yeah. the fact that he went from Zombieland to 30 Minutes or Less, which are both, you know, kind of middle-ish budget, uh, kind of mainstream studio comedies, and then, bang, this cast, this budget that story yeah the, the, yeah exactly it, it's it's a hell of a leap forwards whereas this feels like a leap kind of backwards to the right a bit you know yeah such a shame cool right um my number one disappointment of the year is what do you think it might be well i thought it was going to be gangster squad you see so i'm racking my brain now is this it something we've reviewed it's not something we've reviewed, okay. no. It's a film um, okay. where virtually, with the exception of one person, virtually everybody whose opinion um, I... You know, there are other people, obviously, whose opinion I care about, that I listen to and I take on board have told me how wonderful it is and how great it is and how it, you know... It's got all these amazing subtleties, and it's it's, it's got all these fabrics that's all weaved together, and it's it's all it's so poetic, and it's so wonderful, it's so magnificent. Um, and I watched it, and what I got was uh, 96 minutes of me going, "This is shit." Oh, I just had it in my head. What is it? It's upstream colour. Yeah, of course it is. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, Shane Carruth. Oh, um, fucking yeah, you bloody are. Mark <laughs> tweeted me the other day saying upstream colour is going to be mentioned on the show. And I said, oh, it's not in your fucking top ten, is it? And I can't remember what you said, 
I was thinking, no, you did, shit, you said, we're going to have an said, argument. I said, it's, it, it's going to be mentioned on the show, and you tweet me back saying, really? And I tweet you back saying, really? <laughs> but, okay, I just read into that then. I'm so fucking glad you said that. Yeah, it's... Now, I can explain that. Now, the thing is, is this... It's close to, it was, it was, it was, there was a point where this could have been in my bottom five of the year. Luckily, there were five movies that were worse. Do you know what? It was, I think it was just outside of my top ten, uh, my bottom ten. It, 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 it is in my bottom ten. Now, the thing is, is there are a lot of people I know who really got something out of this. Um, and... So I, I don't want to come out and just kind of shit on them and tell them they're wrong and they're idiots and anything like that. So I'm going to go into what I got out of it. Boredom. Absolute, complete, total boredom. It isn't even pretty to look at. It looks like a Zurich insurance advert. It's the story either went completely fucking over my head. Advert. What? Stick that on the fucking poster. Sorry, I just... it's, it, it, it's not. It is not even striking to look at. It's just standard, fucking HD, mid-budget. Stick a camera there, record it, and have these people say slightly cryptic things and have slightly sort of moody music sweeping through. And it is just, it's arrogant filmmaking at its worst, where. You might get some people, but then other people will just sit there and go, this is pretentious crap. And I I can thoroughly see people's argument of, well, hang on a minute. How, what is the difference between only God forgives that being pretentious crap and this being pretentious crap? And I can completely see the argument with the exception of the fact that only God forgives looks beautiful for the vast majority of the running time. Upstream colour just looks Ray. bland. The The story doesn't mean anything. If it does mean anything, I completely fucking missed it. it, it it's just it's just not very good. I, I really... I don't understand um, why people have adored this movie. And I... I almost think that the people who have do adore this movie have been tricked by a charlatan of a filmmaker. You have been Darren Brown in film form. I, I, the thing is, I would agree with that, but I like the morning I watched it. Jordan texted me saying, "Like, are you going to watch Upstream Color? You're going to watch Upstream Color? You're going to watch Upstream Color?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going to watch it today." And the first twenty twenty five minutes or so. Where it's the um, the guy like who kind of weirdly drugs that woman and then basically ruins her life. I thought that shit was really interesting, and I thought that in terms of almost like a psychological horror, just like what the fuck would you do in that situation that your mind has been so raped as that? I thought it was fascinating, and then when it just goes off on the the two people kind like who seem to be attracted to each other, but they have zero chemistry whatsoever. Being when the director casts himself in it and comes into it as the main character. Yeah, yeah. The direct, correction, 
the director, producer, writer, cinematographer, um, did the music to it and edited it as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I just it it, it just I, felt like an ego piece. The thing is, the thing with Upstream Color is people seem to be saying oh, there's so much to it, there's so many layers and whatnot, but I just haven't found anyone who's actually told me what those layers are. No, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I, I, I didn't get a single layer. I didn't even get to the first... I didn't even get to the first level at all. And it, it just... It, it, it just. I kept getting game over any time I tried to focus. Uh, it, it's 96 minutes long, and at, at a couple of points, I, I contemplated going, I don't care. Don't care. I'm just going to turn this off. But I thought, no, because I've got to watch it to see if there's something yeah. at the end of it that gives me that gives me some kind of reason for why people adore this movie. I just don't get... Look, if other people saw something there, brilliant. I'm all for it. Um, I don't want to tell people they're wrong for liking something. Well, there are a few films I'll tell people they're wrong yeah. for liking, but we'll come to them later. This isn't one of them. If you've got something from it, fine. But for me, it just... It, there was nothing. I, I, I genuinely... I did like the first 20, 25 minutes. I liked that idea. But frankly, frankly, it crawled up its own ass for me. And, yeah, um, yeah I mean, like... It, it, the, the only reason why, frankly, it wasn't really in my disappointments list is because I like Primer. I don't love Primer. So from a, a filmmaker level, I wasn't super, super hyped for it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But that people do love it. And I'm not going to call... I, I used to be... I think I've mellowed slightly. I used to be very, if you like this film, you're a fucking idiot. Even though I would still say that with Grown Ups. But with Upstream Colour, I know people who aren't idiots who oh, adore yeah, the exactly. film. That's it. So, hey. But... Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's, my, that's my thing as well. I, yeah, I know people who quite simply, yeah, like you say, are not idiots who really adore this film. I, I, and I, I will ask them in a completely non-aggressive way when I see them, look, can you explain to me why you adored it? Just to see if you can kind of say, well, this is why. And I can go, do you know what? I didn't get that, but I'm glad you did. Yeah, no, I, I, that, that, that's that, that's the thing. I don't feel particularly angry about upstream colour. I I was a little bit. I've had enough of this coverage when it was coming out, and everybody was talking about it. Everybody was talking about upstream colour. That annoyed me just because I didn't like the film. But you know, it, I don't know. It is what it is. I'm sure there'll be a film that I'm evangelical about. That, that that people just don't see and oh, that's absolutely fine, you know. There, there, there's a film on my list uh, coming up uh, in my top ten that um, that most people um, didn't like. That, oh, that's intriguing. Uh, but yeah, so should we should we move on to the um... yes back back into number seven? Okay, cool. So um, actually, do you want to do your number seven? We'll switch it up a bit. Yeah, I can do it, yeah. All right, cool. That's... Right, uh, my number um, seven um, is a directorial debut from an actor who I'm sure we all adore uh, and all um, love, um, written and directed by um, the hugely charismatic uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, it is Don John. Oh, fair play. Um, 
the story of uh, you have seen this, haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the story uh, Italian American guy um, called um, Joe Martello um, who lists uh, at the start of the film uh, the things he cares about: his body, his pad, his ride, his family, his church, his boys, his girls, and his porn. Um, he's a seemingly intelligent guy who works in the service industry. Uh, he's a barman, uh, although we never actually see him doing any work. Seems to have his life vaguely together. Um, he likes spending time uh, with his friends, uh, and he is a good-looking guy with you know a good body, so he doesn't find it too difficult to grab women. But his big thing in life is he likes his porn. Uh, it's the time where he gets his his release of sorts. It's the time where he gets his me time out of porn. Uh, and then he meets um, Scarlett Johansson, um, who plays the wonderfully named Barbara Sugarman, um, who is the girl who is the girl of his dreams and she might be the one. But he still can't get away from the fact that he still likes his porn. Um, but she can't understand why he needs his pawn when he's got her and his reasons are because I'm not you're, you you and my pawn are, are different things it's not the same thing and it is that kind of there's a great a great line in the well, not a line a great scene in the movie where the, Scarlett Hansen and Joseph Gunn are having a huge argument about the fact that he watches pawn um, and he kind of he says, you know, you're fantasizing about this when you've got me, and he's like, it's not that, you know, you watch romantic films when you've got me. Yeah. What's the fucking difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it is it is that exact thing of where it, my, my wife, who has no problem with porn or anything like that, said, do you know what? Fucking, he's got a point there. He's fucking bang on right. Yeah. And I was like. So what you're saying is I can watch as much porn as I want now. It's like, I'm not saying that, but he's bang on right there. He's just won that argument. But also, it, it's about it's about so much more than just that. There's the, the fact that Scarlett Johansson gradually starts to control his life and the way he does things. And she he thinks that she's great for him and that she's doing all these things for him. And then there's a moment where he, he almost outside of the whole porn thing, where he mentions that he wants to go and get a Swiffer mop for, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. for his house. And she's and, and her response is, why are you getting that? Haven't you got a maid to do that? And he's like, well, no, I, I'd like to clean my own pad. And then she basically questions his masculinity um, for, for the fact that he cleans his own house. But it's not that she's saying that she's... She, she, she would be horrified if if he projected those Sorry, ideals... Sorry, can, of... can you hear the baby? I heard a big mumbling, yeah. Sorry, can I just check? Sorry, bud. I hate yeah, to no interrupt you. Before. I'll be back right back. Okay, cheers. Always... Go. Go. Um, yeah, so uh, Scarlett Anderson's character um, seems to be sort of questioning um, sort of like his, his masculinity and everything like that and saying that he shouldn't be assuming the role of... of you know, a housekeeper or anything like that. But if he, for instance, had said to her, well, then you can clean, you know, my apartment. You know, that's, if that's my gender role that I'm not allowed to do it because I'm a guy, then surely... But it, 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 that's not what she's meaning. Yeah, it's, yeah. 
it, it, it kind of it throws all that and it, it's that where he first starts to see well actually this girl is perfect and then when he meets a, a college course that uh, he's been kind of emotionally manipulated into uh, by uh, Barbara he meets uh, Esther uh, an old woman played by um, Julianne Moore um, who kind of opens his mind to the fact that maybe she isn't the perfect woman she's just she's just a lust object for him as much as anything she's he's convinced himself through lust uh, that that she's that she's almost like his redemption anything like that and it, it's through this relationship um that he starts to realize that although he's you know he's emotionally mature and you know he's he's got everything down he's never matured on a um a, a sex level um since he was 14 you know he he still sees sex is an extension of pornography to him and it's, it's through that relationship that he starts to develop um that part of of of, of his emotions and i i just i found it funny um insightful i think the performances are all great um and i enjoyed spending time with the characters i i was surprised at how much emotional weight it kind of hit me with uh, as the film went on i was hugely impressed um but then again you know you kind of expect it from joseph gordon levitt he seems like the kind of guy who would be it'd be hard to find something he's not good at yeah no totally i i um i very much liked uh, don john it's not on my list but i i, I think it's a fucking fine piece of work um i i look forward to seeing what he does in the future for sure cool right uh, what is your number seven here? My number seven is the uh, aforementioned uh, The Act of Killing, sorry. Uh, so Joshua Oppenheimer's film, um, which, yeah, I think is fantastic. Um, it does... Yeah, the, thing, the thing with documentaries is sometimes, if you agree with the subject matter, can kind of correlate with what you think of the film. Mm. Uh, and I'm trying to trying to break myself away from that and a key a key point was blackfish which i watched last week which uh i thought was a very very good message wrapped up in a pretty badly executed film for me anyway the act of killing is telling this story which you know is very basic human stuff of what is wrong but it's set in this world where people just don't think like that and it, it's it's incredible to see that frankly um but as as well as that i think the the, the the filmmaking aspect of it is fantastically done. Um, the idea of reenacting this this guy's dreams, which are you know they in the film seem to think it's because it's going to be used to kind of like I don't know like make it, it, it's almost being used to further their careers or something like that. And you know the. the it almost feels like the filmmakers are being a bit disingenuous with the, yeah, you know, we, we're going to portray you guys and we're going to make you guys like look like heroes or whatever. Because that bigger guy in particular, he's very up for making himself look like a fucking idiot. We, he, he does seem to enjoy um, drag. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, for me, uh, I was kind of surprised, actually, because people... Um, I, I, I said that I found the film blackly humorous and I had a couple of people like actually say, well, what, what the fuck? And it's just, I agree with that. it is, it is those moments where it's this guy 
who is so fucking repellent, but he's made to, by the filmmakers to look like an idiot getting him to dress in this in this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's a really, really brave piece of work by Joshua Oppenheimer. And, I mean, the fact that one of the co-directors is question mark, you know, like, and there's a lot of people in the credits that are just question mark, you know, or, 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 or yeah, yeah, I, I think it's question mark they frame it as. And, yeah. um, it, it, I don't know, there's, there's a kind of, there's an intensity to it that even though the, these guys never catch on that you know they're actually going to make them look bad that the purpose of the documentary is not to kind of further them there's always this kind of tension there of like it is any you know is, is the bubble going to burst or anything like that and it doesn't and by the end of it that the, the that main guy um seems to have genuinely think that joshua oppenheimer has helped him get through stuff like he's a psychiatrist and it's just showing off evil mm. you know and and how this stuff happens it, it still happens in that society now that moment where they're um getting trying to get money out of that guy and the guy gives him the money and he's just like well that's not enough give me more and then he's just give me more and the, the thing is that's a governor of a, of a of a province of indonesia yeah that's that's it, it's not just some and also as well the the whole thing seems to be the whole um, uprising and overthrowing of the um, the communist regime uh, seems to be predicated by a complete misunderstanding of the word gangster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Free man. Gangster means free man in English. It's like it really doesn't. Yeah. To the point of where I sort of stopped and said to um, Becky, "Get the dictionary out. To, I'm gonna have to look this up yeah. just to make sure." We're not fucking missing, and we're not the idiots here. And I thought, no, it's them. But it's not just one or two guys. It's the vice president of the country. Yeah, yeah. Says it at one point. Yeah. At a meeting. And, you know, you're looking at it, and there's this, this paramilitary group um, that are very involved um, in the country, and they, they run security for supermarkets things like that and they, they basically openly admit they're involved in illegal gambling mm. racketeering prostitution and all these things and it, it is it is like a shit version of the mafia is running a country yeah 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 it's it's um it, it's a very very powerful documentary and it and it is upsetting and i think it's also very smart that they don't ever kind of interview victims or anything like mm. that people who have like run out of the country or whatever they're not they're not like emotionally manipulating you like that it obviously with documentary then they're, they're never just bearing the facts because in the end of the day you know a documentary is is put together by a person who in the end of the day does have some sort of agenda to tell a particular story because otherwise they wouldn't be a director um yeah. But it's as close to being objective uh, I, I, in terms of emotion as humanly possible. And I, I, it's, I think it's a wonderful documentary. And, um, but, I mean, wonderful in terms of just the, the, the filmmaking quality, not that, you know, it's wonderful what happens in the act of killing. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, I, it's... 
the fact that this and Blackfish, are being, I'm going to shit on Blackfish again, but the fact that this and Blackfish are being talked up as like the two documentaries you have to see this year, for me, the act of killing is so fucking far away from Blackfish that it is like comparing Citizen Kane to Adam Sandler's going overboard. <laughs> Blackfish has really offended you, hasn't it? It's the thing is, it's I get. I think I gave it two and a half on Letterboxd or two maybe because the, the message is strong and the footage in it is strong, but the way it's put together. I mean, there's a talking head at one point in that fucking film. It says something like, "Either she knew the truth and she was lying, or she didn't know," and it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, you, you've given us the two possible things that that could have been. Mm. Well done. Either it was yes or it was no. You know, it just, I, 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 I am paraphrasing slightly, but the, 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 the meaning is there. It's, that's the, the message that was given. Yeah, it's, ah, uh, it, but it's kind of bobbins is Blackfish and it does, ang- the act of killing is great. There you go. <laughs> uh, your, your number six, is it? Yes, my number six. Um, which has come up before. Uh, my number six is um, James Pond and Salt's um, The Spectacular nice. Now. Um, again, was drawn to it um, by the fact that it's from the same guys who wrote 500 Days of Summer. Uh, like yourself, I was a, a huge fan of the um, of, of 500 Days of Summer. Um, I have um, less of a problem with Miles Teller because... Um, Although, yes, he was in Project X, and I have actually seen 21 and over, and that's not a great film, to be honest. It doesn't paint him in a brilliant light. Um, I prefer to remember him um, very fondly from the uh, Footloose remake. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, no, he is good in that, fair enough. uh, Which, you know, he's very good, and he's... Somebody said um, Miles Teller uh, reminds him of an early Vince Vaughn. And I, I could see that to be honest. He has that, and especially in the spectacular now. His his main thing in the spectacular now is he's not the brightest kid. Um, he's not a jock, but he's you know he's incredibly charismatic, and he's got the like, he's got a bit of a gift of the gab, and and also all boiling down to it, he he seems like a genuinely nice guy. Um, he's the sort of guy who will probably be friendly with everybody, with all kind of little factions uh, of groups within the high school that he goes to. Um, and it, 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 the way that they deal with his, his, his quite obvious alcohol dependency, um, it is, it's so subtly done, the fact that it's never, it's never mentioned. There's no big scene of somebody confronting him about it. It's and never him breaking down and saying, no. I've got a problem. You know, yeah, it's there's, never there's, that. There's, there's none of that. He, he just, he realises really um, subtly that he's got it. And the, the scene where he's, he's sat with his boss and his boss says to him, you know, you, you, I want to give you the job, but you've got to promise me that you're not going to come into work loaded anymore. Yeah. And he looks at him and says, I like you. And because I like you and I respect you, you know I can't promise you that. Yeah. I mean, and that, that, oh, sorry, go on. Go, go, go. What you okay, no, I was just going to say, I mean, there's also that moment where the uh, the guy who's dating uh, uh, Brie Larson's character kind of comes in and he's all, like, like hyped up, like he's going to... 
kick the shit out of him and uh, the way that he calm he, he kind of calms him down it's not even like yeah. it's not even bullshit or anything like that and uh, it just it feels different and yet it feels like that is actually what would happen in that situation and yet it feels kind of new yeah it, it's it's like you say there's this I mean, that's in the gears where it's seen the fact that he can he, he he's like why why are you why are you coming after me you know I, I, she's you know she likes you better than she likes me, and why wouldn't she? You're fucking great. Look at you. Yeah. Uh, and he, he basically then he, he doesn't blame him for being great. He basically just says to this guy, you know, you've got this and you're this. You're a fucking good guy. You know, give yourself some slack. You know, I'm shit. You don't worry about me. I'm fine with that. And the fact that it's just he, he gets so wrapped up in himself without ever being a selfish person. You know, he's the his drinking doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him a slightly flawed person. Yeah. And you know, he does realise that Amy would probably be better off without him to an extent. That version of him, yeah. if he can alter that version of him and drop that part of his life, then he'll definitely, you know, then he knows that he can be one of the good guys. Um, it's. It, 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 it absolutely um, deserves um, to find an audience, um, and it's it, it's it's slightly it's infuriating and annoying the amount of shit that gets released and marketed to to the younger people of today when. This is out there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, there is no wonder. Um, you know, the youth of today is is growing up a bit fucking dumb. Yeah. When they're being marketed, shite like Light Project X and Light Twenty One and Over, I've been told this is brilliant. Go and see this. Go and see this. And then, you know, you see him. I, you know, you see him on Twitter. Going, oh, it's the best film I've ever seen. It's like. That's because you've seen eight films. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they would go and watch this. You mark it right, they would go and watch it. And they might get something else out of this. They might get a vague portrait of intelligence. And instead of glorifying um, being 18 in high school or 18 in college in, in this country... And going out and getting drunk and drinking at work and everything like that, instead of glorifying it and saying, "Oh, how funny is it? How cool is this?" And uh, saying, "You know, yeah, fuck it. You're 18 years old. Have fucking loads of fun. I fucking did." But you know, there's a life beyond that, yeah. and I think the spectacular now deals with that wonderfully well. And I think Miles Teller delivers an, delivers an incredible performance yeah. in this. Yeah, he's he, fantastic. It, he's. Uh, this for me was one where after it you look at it and you go if he picks his roles well and doesn't just go down generic big budget comedy movies if he doesn't become the new Vince Vaughn now Vince Vaughn or the new Adam Sandler he could have a fucking a really really interesting career totally yeah right. absolutely man what is your number five? No, uh, my number six. Number six, number six, because we reversed it around, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll be, I'll be quick on this because we've already mentioned it. Number six, uh, only God forgives. 
um, I rewatched this uh, Boxing Day night, and um, yeah, I just I think it's a film that kind of tells its story through its atmosphere, through its visuals and its audio. It really does help that the Blu-ray is superb with the AV quality, um, and yeah, I everything you said earlier on, I I agree with. Um, I don't find it pretentious at all. I think it tells its story and it's got imagery that I think you can read. You can read several things into. I've got my own interpretation of the film, which I think is perfectly valid and I'm absolutely happy with it. I think there's a fair bit of meat to the bone, but you could also just watch it as a visual spectacle. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's cracking. Uh, pardon me. I'm a very very big fan of Only God Forgives. Uh, it actually went up slightly in in my kind of provisional list upon rewatch, and I'm very happy to have it in there. Yes, uh, I got the steel book, uh, which is gorgeous. Yeah, sorry about it, man. Yeah, awesome. Um, and um, yes, I'm very looking much looking forward to catching it again. Great. Uh, your number six. Five. Five. My what? number five. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Fucking hell, yeah, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, your number five. My number five uh, is my favourite blockbuster of the year. Um, a film which I think has, has split people more 70-30, 70 in the negative, 30 in the positive. Um, it is Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim, uh, okay. another movie okay. which, which we saw together. Um yeah. I saw it twice at the cinema. I saw it once in IMAX 3D, and I saw it once in just standard 3D. I've also watched it twice at home, um, and every time I've adored it. Um, it is a a film. It is a it's 180, 190 million, 200 million. I don't care how much it costs. Dollar movie that Guillermo del Toro has made for 11-year-old boys. Yeah. Uh, and if you can tap into your 11-year-old boy, whether or not you're a 31-year-old man, you're a 66-year-old woman, or you're a 7-year-old girl, or you're a cat, if you can tap into your 11-year-old boy, this is giant fucking space monsters fighting giant man-powered robots. It looks fucking great. It is cheesy as hell. But then I like to remind you that it is giant space monsters that come from the sea versus giant man-powered robots. It's supposed to be fucking cheesy. You can't do that serious. You lose the point if you do that serious. I adore this movie. It gets better every time I watch it. You can fucking take the piss as much as you like about Idris Elbert saying, today we are cancelling the apocalypse. I've seen it four times and the hairs in the back of my neck still stand up every fucking time I see it. Um, I just fucking love it. Absolutely fucking love this movie. It makes me smile from start to fucking finish. Ace, um, I've had the steelbook since November. I just haven't rewatched it for some reason. I'm probably going to tomorrow because I'm back to work on Tuesday and I kind of want to treat myself a little bit tomorrow. But um, yeah, I. the thing is, it's the film that Guillermo del Toro wanted to make. And I. it's weird that so many people who love Guillermo del Toro don't see that and criticise it because they seem to think that it's him locked in a studio thing. no. 
it's it's exactly the film the man wanted to make. If he didn't want to make it, he wouldn't have. I mean, fuck me, he walked off of The Hobbit, which was as much of a sure thing commercially as you could ever have to do Pacific Rim. And yeah, I I really liked it in the cinema, and I'm looking for I'm really fucking looking forward to watching it at home. So yeah, good good for you, man. That's brilliant. And also as well. For all those people who were calling it one of the year's flops, it didn't flop. Just because it didn't make a, 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 the amount of money they wanted it to make in America doesn't mean it flopped. No. This film did an, an incredible amount elsewhere. The movies don't just make money in the UK and America. There is the Russian market and the Asian market and now massive markets. This film did over, did over $400 million and Hopefully, that will get as a sequel. And as well, sorry, but the giant robot in it is called Gypsy Danger. (laughs) Do you know what? My missus nearly convinced me to get two dogs because she told, she said said that she'd call hers Gypsies and I'd be allowed to call mine Danger. (laughs) And I, at one point, thought, hang on a minute, at the park, two dogs running around and I get to shout out, Gypsy danger, <laughs> and it was very close to it happening. Amazing, good. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, no, that's yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do want a sequel, but if we don't have one, the film ended perfectly well as a one-off. Mm. That doesn't. It's not like the Golden Compass, which ends with, oh well, who knows what's going to happen next or whatever, you know, and then you never get the next one. It ended. It just it ended perfectly well, as did The Lone Ranger, by the way. And mm. Even though they were expecting that to be a franchise, it's obviously not going to be. I am bang up for franchise, franchise hoping to start films that aren't beholden to the franchise. Good on Pacific Rim. Yes. Five? Uh, yes, number five, please. Yes. No, number five is Paolo Sorrentino's The Great Beauty. Uh, Jordan McGrath? Yes, I have a foreign language film in my top ten. Does that legitimise me? I'm only joking around, Jordan. Even though he's probably not going to listen to this because I'm going to do, do the list on heroes. Do, I, I, do you know what I'm referring to there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I have a foreign... Yeah, so Paolo Sorrentino is the great beauty. Uh, it's fantastic. It's the story... Can I, can I say you, you already had one on? Did I? Act of killing. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I suppose, yeah. No, oh, okay, fair it's enough. Or a language film, isn't it? None yeah, of it's in English. Actually, yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, I didn't really thought of that. Um, but yeah, The Great Beauty, um, which is the story of a, um, pardon me, a kind of a, a magazine interviewer, editor guy who uh, is 65 and kind of realises that maybe his he hasn't appreciated the great, the, the truly great, spiritually great things in life. And instead, he sits around with his friends act, uh, being all pretentious and, you know, talking while others are doing. But the talking is somehow more legitimate, but maybe it's not. Um, it's a film that has some great weight behind it, but is also incredibly entertaining. It looks absolutely fucking gorgeous. There was imagery in the film that I genuinely tweeted made me feel like I wanted to cry just because it looked so fucking good. Um, and it's it's a real, real wonder, is The Great Beauty. Um, it, there's an awful lot to get into about it, but I'm not going to because 
Uh, we've been going for about an hour and a half now, and frankly, we're not even halfway through, I don't think. So, uh, yeah, but uh, The Great Beauty, it's a really fantastic piece of work. And I mean, and it also has the best lead, uh, the best protagonist entrance this decade, probably, let alone this year. It's the the way this guy enters the film is amazing. Cool. Um, right. Um, we're going to go to our biggest surprises now. Um, Ian, um, how have you judged your surprises then? Uh, went through the list and it was just films I wasn't expecting anything from that really was, I, I just thought, whoa, holy shit, fair enough. Or, uh, you know, filmmakers I, I've previously been fairly agnostic on and uh, uh, and, and just re- and made a really, what I thought was a cracking film. So, yeah, that's how I justified cool. mine. Yours? Um, yeah, pretty much exactly the same films where I watched and expected very little and after it was like, do you know what? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for instance, there's a few that, that, that aren't on it um, because simply I, I expected them to be good. Uh, so, for instance... Um, but actually, the way I just put it is, is if you'd explain to me the cast of the film and the filmmaker without seeing any trailers or anything like that, I'd have gone, nah, not interested. That's how I've judged it. Um, yeah. But stuff like um, Escape Plan and Two Guns, um, which I watched the other day, is magnificent. Um, they're not on it because if you'd have told me the filmmaker and the cast, I'd have been... Yeah, bang up for that. Yeah. So, go on then. Here's with your number five. Uh, that's a fair point. Oh, two Guns is great. Um, two Guns really is. Two Guns is very reminiscent of Way of the Gun for me. Still haven't seen Way of the Gun. I should, though. If... Oh, you should, mate. Brilliant. Nice. Uh, my number five, uh, very quickly, Alexander Payne's Nebraska, which I did mention technically earlier on because it was one of the film's consideration in the list but wasn't in the list. Uh, but yeah, um, Alexander Payne, a filmmaker I've, I've, I've genuinely, uh, generally kind of liked but not loved, really. Um, but he, I thought he knocked it out of the park with Nebraska. Uh, we reviewed it a few shows back. I, I, I think it's a, a really, really fantastic piece of work and, you know, it, it did surprise me. Cool. Um... My number five, um, mine are, mine, none of mine, uh, mine are all quite trashy films, I'm not going to lie. Right. My number five is Ethan Hawke and Selena Gomez in a car being controlled by John Vaught's voice. <laughs> it is Getaway, which I watched on <laughs> on the 1st of January. Oh, I think it was the first or the second film I watched this year. It was the second film I watched this year. Uh, I watched The Call um, first. Um, and do you know what? It's 95 minutes, and I enjoyed the shit out of 95 minutes. It's it a fun just... film, man. It is. Yeah. It was only about halfway through it that I go, I don't know, they're not in America. They're in they're in Bulgaria. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, the story doesn't make any sense. The um, ending is retarded. That last shot is yeah. retarded. It's just like, what was the point of that then? It, 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 it's like they had several ideas they could have gone with for Selena Gomez's character, and they just picked one on the day. Sure. Um, but it is a fucking load of fun. Mm. That one last uh, that that shot towards the end. It's like that one shot, and you just hear Ethan Hawke going, "Come on, come on, come on!" and the gears shifting. Mm. And like it, it's it's fucking amazing. I love that shot. It's 
it's got an awful lot of kind of like one star reviews as getaway, and I think it's just because people are like, "Oh, Ethan Hawke, you were in Before Midnight. Where did you go wrong?" And it's like, well, in fairness, Ethan Hawke was also in The Purge this year. Um, but it's it's. I mean, he's a jobbing. He is a jobbing actor. You know, Ethan Hawke is not a marquee name. You know, no. and it's just because he makes Before Midnight. It, it doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to make this. I mean, and he probably, me, he's Robert De Niro probably got the paid. Of Rocky and Bullwinkle, for fuck's sake. He probably got paid more money for making The Getaway than he did Before Midnight. Yeah, sure. You know, he's got, he's got, a, 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 I think a system where he will do five or six movies simply for money. And I think he did The Getaway for money. Yeah. But, it, it, do you know what? I was on board with it and I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, um, fuck it. If people want to give it one star review and didn't enjoy it, then fine. Fair play. Go on, what's your number four? My number four is Gavin Hood's Ender's Game, um, which I went to not expecting fucking anything. Uh, it was... It was the only film I think I've ever reviewed for 35mm Heroes where I was just like, I'm not in... Pardon me. I'm not interested in the fucking slightest. I'm just... I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered. And then it was Ender's Game, which uh, I, I, I thought was uh, really fun, to be honest. Um, a fucking ballsy first act. Uh, third act, sorry. Uh, but as a Buzzerfield, I thought it was good. Uh, I thought the action was fine. I thought Harrison Ford was awake. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I, I had a great deal of fun with Ender's Game. And I do think it's a film that kids would get something out of and actually have a discussion with their parents after. You know, uh, it's I'll sit Lottie down in front of it one day and I'll, I'll have a talk with her about what she, what she got out of it afterwards. And yeah, good stuff. Cool. Um, my number four, uh, which I, I won't go into it, I'll just quickly go through it, is Alpha Papa um, is my number four. Okay. Um, reason being is I'm not a big Alan Partridge fan. I'm a big Steve Coogan fan, but I'm not a big Alan Partridge fan. So I was completely nonplussed by the idea of, of an Alan Partridge movie, yet I thoroughly enjoyed it. But it was a really, it, it was, it didn't rely on the cringe factor, um, it didn't rely on making him too pathetic or anything like that. It, it was a really nice, warm, funny movie, and it surprised me how much I enjoyed it. Very nice, very nice. Uh, my number three, The Dirties, um, which I was surprised about because uh, Kevin Smith produced it, and Kevin Smith can fuck a duck as far as I'm concerned. Um I don't know. I, I, I don't know that just that him producing it put really put me off. So I watched it and it's a really interesting meta as fuck, but enjoyable with it. Uh, look at a high school shooting, um, but with real visual kineticism and dynamism. Uh, the best credit sequence and end credit sequence I've seen this year. And, um, really enjoyable as well as being uh, upsetting in moments uh, it, it, I, I thought it was a really solid piece of work the dirties cool um, which is my number three now aren't we yeah yeah which is number three uh, my number three is uh, Michael Bay's Pain and Gain um, surprised me because it's a Michael Bay film um, and I um, really really enjoyed it it is 
an absolute head fuck of the American dream. Um, reminds me of, um, in a lot of ways, of Scarface. Uh, it's an incredibly, incredibly black comedy. Um, I know some people have massive, 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 massive... In fact, many people have massive issues with it. I've seen it on a lot of worst five of the years. Um yeah. In a lot of ways, the uh, the idea of when people say, oh, well, it's the way that uh, Michael Bay seems to find it amusing um, to, um, you know, th- you know these things actually happen to real people, and I, I can't believe that Michael Bay finds comedy in that. It, 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 is, it, it has become a little bit like, uh, for me, like, oh, um, there was too much disruption in Man of Steel. It's become like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bit like, well, hang on a minute. Let's have a look at other biopics of based on true stories that do very similar things. And I still think if this isn't Michael Bay, people don't have as much of a fucking problem with it. Um, Again, if people don't like it, don't like it. I'm fine with that. I I I got a lot out of it, Um, and I don't think that makes me a fucking terrible person. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Uh, might be coming up. Um, I really, really need the toilet. I'm sorry. Go. I'll okay. go as well. Uh, pausing. Recording resumes. Cool. Right. Do you want to give us your number four, Ian? Um, uh, my number three. Oh, no, no. Uh, we're doing, still doing surprises, aren't we? Are we still, oh, yeah, of course. We're doing surprises. Yeah, sorry. We had a free uh, pause put up right there, so that's why I got confused. Yeah. So you just did your number three, didn't you? Yeah. Okay, my number two is Noah Baumbach's Francis Ha, uh, which I, I thought was was cracking. Um, it's certainly my favourite of Noah Baumbach's uh, films. I find him uh, quite a hard presence to like. I thought Greenberg was absolute bobbins, uh, so I wasn't expecting too much despite the hype. But I, I thought it was funny. I thought it was sweet. I thought Greta Gerwig was fantastic. I, li- I really like the cinematography. I like the aping of Woody Allen. That was absolutely fine by me. Uh, yeah, in all, uh, a really, really good time. Cool. Um, my number two uh, was The Heat. Um, mm, mm. The Sandra Bullock, um, Melissa McCarthy, uh, buddy cop movie. Uh, like I've said it on the podcast before a couple of times. Um, it surprised me and how much I enjoyed it. I love the fact that it is just played as a buddy cop movie, not a female buddy cop movie. Uh, I think that's the bit that stands it out. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed it. Really surprised me how much I got out of that film. Fair play. And um, uh, folks, if you wonder why we're suddenly kind of speeding up, uh, I've got 45 minutes before I need to be done, so we've got quite a bit to do. So uh, my number one was Michael Bay's Pain and Gain. Um, I agree with you absolutely. Uh, that's that's all I have to really say. I, I, I genuinely think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I was not expecting anything from Pain and Gain at all, uh, and to be as kind of entertained and in, and impressed by the filmmaking as I was, was a, a real delight. So, yeah, um, very happy to have it on there, actually. Cool. Um, my number one um, is The Hangover Part 3. Um, Fucking hell, fair play. I love the fact that most people hate this movie. I, I, I love that. Um, I liked its complete and nigel um, look at um, the first two movies. Uh, I like the fact that they've obviously gone right um, fuck it. No one's ever going to get this amount of freedom um, to make an R-rated movie with this amount of money again. Let's just fucking do whatever we can 
uh, and also having watched the documentary uh, that is on the um, Steelbook uh, limited edition box set um, about the three films, um, they basically say that we used a lot of favours uh, that we'd carried from uh, the success of the Hangover movies when we shot in Las Vegas. Uh, anybody who says that um, it reaped too much of contractual obligation, go and watch the documentary and see if that's correct, because it fucking isn't. Um, I, I loved it, and I love the fact that most people hate it. Fair play. Nice. Uh, right. Yeah, so we're back into the list then. Yeah. Um, Ian, your number four, please. We're getting at the big fucking numbers. Ah, yes, we are. Uh, my number four it was a film that we kind of mentioned a little bit just a, a minute ago. Uh, Richard Linklater's Before Midnight, uh, which is a either a perfect capper to a trilogy or another fantastic instalment in the Before series. Uh, I'd be happy with uh, either, how it turns out. Um yeah, uh, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy have lived in chemistry that could only come from them working on these films for as long as they have. Um, I love the introduction of other characters I- into it, whether it be uh, Ethan Hawke's, uh, Hawke's character's son or the dinner party uh, sequence, which seems to go for about 20, 25 minutes. And uh, the, the the kind of the mirroring of young love, and then they're, they're talking uh, talking about relationships when you're older. Uh, but then also the hotel room scene, which is so fucking real and raw that I genuinely did actually feel like I was kind of like someone spying on them through a window or something like that. Um, but then it's got an ending which is absolutely perfect. I love the kind of the slightly ambiguous nature of it. Uh, and yeah, a, a massive, massive fan of Before Midnight. I think it's a, a stellar success. Yeah. Um, what I will say is I haven't seen him Before Midnight yet, despite the fact that I am a massive fan of the first two movies. Don't um, think I spoil reason... anything for you there. No, I? no, so, the, 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 I, I know most of the story anyway. Okay. Uh, the reason why I haven't watched it is because my missus hasn't seen the first two Before uh, movies, uh, okay. so I want to wa- I want to watch them both with her. Yeah. Uh, before I watch this, so it's not fitting in one movie, it's fitting in three movies, and it's fitting in three movies with Becky. Yeah, yeah. And it's getting her to watch them <laughs> as well. Um, yes, uh, my number four um, is um, Derek Sanfrancis' The Place Beyond the Pines. Mm. Uh, we spoke about this a, a, a few times on the podcast, and it's a wonderful three-act structure, um, which is three um, continuing stories um, picking up sort of almost one after another that all kind of tie in together. Um, I think a lot of people who didn't like the film um, were probably taken out of it by the fact that it's painted as being a Ryan Gosling film and there's an argument to suggest that it's more a Bradley Cooper film. Um I think, I think there's it, also another argument that it's a Dane DeHaan film, to be honest. It's exactly, a, yeah. That's it, what it, actually it, happens. Yeah, um, it's it's a wonderful story of um, responsibilities, of fatherhood, of uh, of men not being able to live up to society's expectations bestowed upon them. Um, it's 
it's just a really magnificent movie um, that is poetically balanced throughout. I don't agree that um, that the last, the final act, um, or the final story, we'll say the final kind of the third of it, um, lets down the rest of the movie. Uh, I think it's. I think there's an argument that suggests that that's, that, that's actually one of the strongest, and that um, Dane DeHaan gives one of the best performances in in a movie filled with great performances. Um, it, it's just a great movie. We, we've 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 talked about it quite a lot this year. I think um, it, it really it does feel like it will go on um, to be a, a proper American classic. Very nice. Cool. What is uh, your number three, Ian? Django! Django! Um, my number three is Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained, uh, which, you know, it's, I don't think it's Quentin Tarantino's best film at all, but I do think it's fucking brilliant. Um, it's insanely entertaining all the way through. I think it's got just as serious points to make about slavery as 12 Years a Slave, which is not on my list, even though I have seen it. Um, and, uh, it, it just, it, it dresses it up as a comic book superhero origin film, yes. uh, you know, which, which is fantastic. Um, I think the cast are all superb. Um, I think the, uh, you know, Tarantino's just handle on tone is as sparkling as it ever has been. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's a really, really impressive piece of work. It, it, it absolutely sings off the page, and I can't wait to see what the, what the man does next. Everybody's talked loads about Django, so there's no point in me really saying any more. But it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was mine, isn't it? Of course, it's, yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, number three um, is John S. Baird's Filth. Um, oh, fair play. A, a movie that. Um, for the first 40 minutes, um, I outright hated um, for the first 40 minutes. Um, I thought it was everything that is, it showed everything that is terrible about, um, you know, the, yes, it's set in Scotland and we, and I live in England, you live in Wales, uh, but and I, I, it shows everything that is bad about the society of Britain that we live in at the moment. Um, it's homophobic, it's racist, it's nasty, it glorifies drinking and yobbishness. It, it's all those nasty things that that you often get in a certain type of British film. But then it turns all yeah. that on its head yeah. and says, this guy's a fucking terrible person and you've just been... En- if you've been enjoying the first... 40 minutes this movie we're going to show you why that makes you a terrible person as well and I think McAvoy delivers an incredible performance because it is there's barely a moment where he isn't on screen of it Um, and it's a study of this guy having a full blown mental break Mm. and he's so broken by the grief of what he's done um, to the people that he loves, but he can't control himself. And it is just this constant circle of him just getting himself into more and more shit. Uh, And I think that it, for me, it's that 
performance of how how broken McAvoy is. And although coming out of filth, I I really really liked it. Um, I I don't think at that point um, I would have had it in my. I wouldn't have thought it would be in my top ten. Never mind my top three. Yeah. But the fact that it has stayed with me so much, and that I I really cannot wait to see this movie again I think it's it's testament to how good a movie I found it Um, it, I really was incredibly impressed and McAvoy just fucking kills it Uh, it is it it will not get nominated for any awards and I I, I know the reasons why but it is as good a performance as you will see from anybody this year. Yeah, he's fantastic in it. I, 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 it's, it's not on my list, but good for you, man. It's a, it's a, it's a cracking little film. Mm. Go on then. What's your number three? Number two, sorry, number two. My number two, sorry, it's the switching around, isn't it? It's confusing. Numbers things confuse me. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, sorry. I wish I'd learned it on account. <laughs> oh, that's fair enough. Um, my number two is a film you mentioned earlier on. It's Park Chan Week's Stoker. Uh, I will say I had some real debates uh, with the jiggling around my num- uh, around my number two and my number one, um, and th- th- then I don't think they're interchangeable, but they're not far off of it. But yeah, my number two, Stoker. Um, I've seen it twice now. And the first time I saw it was the day after I came back from um, my my six hour drive back from uh, Mike Stag. Uh, so I think I was still a little bit out of it, to be honest. Um, and yeah, I well, watching it a second time round. I watched it on on my birthday, a night on which I actually drank an entire bottle of Jack Daniels in the space of five hours, which was fun. Um, and it really, and I wasn't too pissed by this point. I actually started watching Pain and Gain when I was properly done. Um, but yeah, the, the the thing with Stoker is. It's telling this kind of Hitchcockian kind of small, intimate thriller story, but in in this way that just feels so vibrant and fresh. And I think the the, the, the idea of kind of Eastern like directors coming coming to the West and putting their own spin on things. I think um, Kim Ji Woon did that to an extent with The Last Stand. I think that the um, which was another solid film. You know the the scene in the last stand where he he's like they're they're driving through the corn. It's kind of like stalking through the corn, but with cars. That doesn't feel yeah. like anything an American director would come up with. Uh, but then no. the rest of the film kind of does feel like it could have been done by an American director. Um, this it doesn't feel like any director other than Park Chan Wook would have done would have made these decisions. Um, there is there are sequences in this film that, and and, uh, ed, and edits like specific cuts that are fucking gorgeous. Um, mm. But the way that it tells its story about this girl kind of blooming and flowering and finding her own person, but maybe that person just isn't someone who who would fit in society uh, is I I think is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I think Mia Wasikowska is phenomenal in it i think nicole kidman is great and matthew good his the kind of weird kind of almost snake charmer-esque uh, um uncle charlie is uh is is is, is wondrous uh, it's a great 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 piece of work which also has found itself in some worst of lists this year which i 
is bizarre Has to it? me. Yeah, I've seen it on a couple, uh, which, wow. which is fascinating. Um, and it feels like a film that just completely went under the radar. It just, it just seemed to disappear. Also, I had one of the best trailers of the year. Uh, the UK trailer for Stoko is, is phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, I, it, I think it's a phenomenal piece of work, which I think is going to get reappraised in, in years hence. And, uh, for me personally, it's, it's second only to Old Boy in, um, in Wook's filmography. Or, or, yeah, in, well, in Park Chan Wook's filmography. So yeah, that's my number two is Stoker. Cool. Right, uh, my number two um, is Jeff Nichols' Mud, um, okay. which uh, I watched for the first time, I think, on the 23rd of December. I think I watched it for the first time. Um, set um, uh, in Arkansas, um, on the Mississippi River. Um, it, it, although you'd think that it's the story of its title character, Mud, um, played by Matthew McConaughey, it, it's not really. It, it focuses more on um, Ty Sheridan's um, character, Ellis, uh, who is a young, I think he's supposed to be 14, I think he's probably 14, a 14 year old boy uh, and his friend um, who's called Netbone. Uh, never find out his actual birth name, but you wouldn't actually surprise you if it was Netbone, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, who lives with uh, his uncle, played by uh, Michael Shannon. Um, they um, they go out to uh, a little island uh, on the Mississippi um, because Netbone's found a boat that's stuck in a tree uh, from a flood. Uh, and on this um, island, they meet uh, Mud, played by Matthew McConaughey, uh, who, it turns out, he's hiding out there as a fugitive... Um, from the law and from some men who are going to kill him because he shot um, he, it seems like he shot the son of a I suppose you'd say a crime lord's um, son or something like that uh, in defence of um, Juniper played by um, as my wife described her she looks like a hotter younger Reese Witherspoon <laughs> to which I, I turned and went it is Reese Witherspoon um, and Betts Bet did say holy shit it is Reese Witherspoon yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, <sighs> Jeff Nichols is one of those directors that's made only a few mo- movies um, over like the past sort of five years um, you know in Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter, and this. So three movies. Yeah, he's not one of the ones... He's not a director that you hear talked about a lot. Yet all three of those movies are pretty great fucking movies. Um, Mud shocked me at at, at just how great it is um, and how in a, a film that's plus two hours, that, being honest, not a great deal... Um happens it, it manages to be a a coming of age story uh, mixed in with so many other little facets that, that just make it a wonderful film um uh ty sharing isn't great for a, a child actor he's great for any actor. type of actor yeah, totally. um, i don't know whether this qualified for last year's um academy awards or this year's i think it will be 
last year's, weren't it? Uh, well, it came out in January, sure. so yeah. But uh, anyway, whichever one, um, I, I find it disgraceful that he hasn't been nominated for any awards or had any awards at all, just because he's a kid. If that's an adult performance, that gets nominated. He's incredible. The emotion uh, that that kid manages to show... Um, it is just is 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 magnificent. The when he, he when he finally sees mud, not for what he is, but closer for for what he is. Um, yeah, is is magnificent. Matthew McConaughey just continues to to just excel in everything. He's incredible in, in this. Um, he's. He's got a control, and at the moment when he realizes that that he's got to give up, essentially his his life almost um, to save um, Ellis. It, it, it's a it's, it's an emotional scene. It, it's it's just it's a really really incredible movie, uh, and, and I'm almost almost convincing myself to, to to swap it to number one, but my number one. The, it, they are almost interchangeable. I was massively impressed by Mud. Um, I think it's, it really is an incredible movie, and it is one that I will will watch repeatedly. Yeah, fair play. Right, we can do our, our, our worst now. Yeah, boy. Go on then. I'll let you kick off with your fifth worst movie of the year. Okay, so I haven't actually watched that many terrible, 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 terrible films this year. I usually have a far more extensive list. But, um, yeah, um, pardon me. Uh, my number five is Movie 43, uh, which I didn't even hate that much. It just I didn't hate a lot of films this year. Um, it just it's it's crap. You know, it's rubbish. <laughs> There's. There's a couple of laughs in there, but considering the cast and the directors, uh, it just felt like a what the fuck is this? It feels like a lot of people were um, basically held up at gunpoint to make it. And yet you've got Elizabeth Banks starring in one, uh, I believe, and direct. Yeah, she does. And directing one. You've got James Gunn directing a piece. You've you've got one of the Farrelly brothers directing a piece. Um, you've, You've got interesting directors popping up in there and interesting actors and yet you've got movie 43 it's bobbins but hey yeah uh my number five worst film of the year is uh movie 43 <laughs> um which um I, I completely read everything you say all i'll add to it is it, it's not a film it's um a load of really shit sketch show sketches um sewn together by the fact that for some reason, um, big name Hollywood stars were convinced to fucking star in it. Uh, it is utter, utter shite. And I'd like to ask both Kate Winslet and Hugh Jackman, why? Yeah. At what point did you, when you were reading that script, did you, did you go, yeah, this is funny? Or what did they do? What did they have on you to get you to make that? Totally. It's just shit. Yeah. <laughs> What's, what's your number four, buddy? Yeah, that's fucking totally right. Um, my number four was uh, The Host, the film in which a large proportion of the runtime is dedicated to Saoirse Ronan having an argument in her head with herself. Um, it, it's, re- it's just really, really bad. It was boring as fucking shit. 
I'd had a couple of Jack and Cokes before and like thinking this might be trashy fun and I want to get pissed for it. I ended up nearly falling asleep. Uh, it, it, it's just, it's really misjudged bobbins that never would have got made if it wasn't for the fact it was written by Steph. The, the book was written by Stephanie Meyer. It's shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. I, 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 nothing to add on that. It's just shit. Yeah. Um, my number four is Dracula 3D. Mm. Um, we reviewed it. Um, it's it's not even and uh, with Bad Argento you get a lot of people saying you know whenever people mention Bad Argento you you kind of say to them have you seen Dracula 3D and they often say um, no I haven't but I'm going to and whereas with Jalo you'd say you should because it's just shit but it's it's fun shit yeah with Dracula you, I found myself saying to a lot of people honestly just don't it's just shit yeah yeah it's yeah. not good shit it's badly made badly directed badly bad effects bad acting bad script it's just it is almost impossible to quantify the fact that the same man who made that made deep red i don't care how many years apart it is it is just shit yeah Absolutely, uh, it's coming up. Uh, my, my number three is Escape from Tomorrow, the um, film that l- only got any attention whatsoever because it was uh, guerrilla filmed in Disneyland. Um, it, you know, that's impressive. It's just too bad the film itself has absolutely no value to it whatsoever. It's uh, it's ter- Escape from Tomorrow is fucking terrible. <laughs> Cool. Uh, the rest, my next three, are all big budget um, studio movies. Okay. My number three worst film of the year um, is Identity Thief, okay. starring Jason Bateman and Melissa McCarthy, who essentially, uh, I enjoyed Melissa McCarthy in uh, The Heat. Uh, in this, she's playing. Um, Basically, the foul-mouthed, shouty, fat girl, which yeah. she's very quickly becoming a little bit kind of typecast. And it, it's to the point of now where she's like a potty-mouthed version of Kevin James, but with a vagina. Mm. And that's it. Um, also manages to make fun and try and make you feel sorry for somebody who is um, committing identity theft. Not credit card theft. There's a very big difference. Identity theft. Which in America, and in, in this country, if somebody steals your identity, uh, it can take years for you to prove that that wasn't you. And your credit rating, they don't switch your credit rating back to being fine. It still stays the money that you've spent, you can still end up owing. Yeah. It, it basically, it destroys people's lives. And not only do they treat it in a flippant way, which I have no, I don't have that much of an issue with, but it, I have an issue with the fact that they paint this, the, the person doing it as, oh, it's because she had no friends and she does it to make herself feel better. And they try and make you feel sorry for this person, kind of makes you go, hmm... 
there's a more serious element to this that you're not even going to try and go near. Yeah. And I, I, I found it, I, I found it, it had no, it, all of its sentiment and all of its sympathies were in completely the wrong place. Sure. It's a terrible movie. It's also, it's not fucking funny. <laughs> Which doesn't help. No. <laughs> uh, my number two is Dracula 3D. Uh, absolutely agree with everything you said. It's just the fact that it's so fucking boring. <laughs> yeah, it is really boring. It's the, it's like at least Giallo's entertainingly bad. It's yeah. just this Dracula 3D is just really boring. Uh, my number two, uh, Kick-Ass 2, uh, yeah, uh, a thoroughly, utterly repugnant movie um, that um, the biggest joke in the entire film is Christopher Mintz can't even fucking talk properly flat, um, not being able to get an erection to rape somebody. Yeah. Um, it is... Just everything that the first movie proved it wasn't, Kick-Ass 2 proves it was. Uh, it's just a horrible, grubby piece of shit. And yeah. I'm glad the fact that, because it didn't do very well, is causing it to probably not get a third movie. Um, there's no just, way, there's no way there'll be a Kick-Ass 3. And I'm, I'm glad, because it's yeah. just, it's shit. And take away um, Chloe Moretz, uh, who has actually had a pretty shitty year this year. Yeah, she's not had a great one. Um, that film stinks of contractual obligation. Yeah. From other other members of the cast. Yeah. Mainly Aaron Johnson, who looks like he really doesn't want to be there. He's just thinking, I'm going to be in Avengers 2, I'm going to be in Avengers 2, I'm going to be in Avengers 2. I also think he's looking at it going, this isn't a very nice movie. I don't like this. Yeah, the fact yeah. that he doesn't talk about it at all. He's quite, he seems like quite a smart cookie. Um, and it's just, a, a, repugnant is the only word I can use to describe Kikasu. I really don't like it. I, I don't liked, understand I how people get enjoyment out of it. I think that's fair, man. I think that's fair. However, it wasn't my worst movie of the year. <laughs> Go on then, what's your most hated movie of the year? Aftershock. Fuck <laughs> you, Aftershock. I fucking hate you. I hate absolutely ev every single thing about you I hate. You woman-hating, intelligence-insulting, pandering in the worst possible way, piece of... AIDS-ridden excrement. I does, does it does it annoy the fuck out of you when you see the amount of fawning wankers on Twitter who will tell Eli Roth how amazing Aftershock was and then he retweets them? I don't follow Eli Roth on Twitter anymore and I'm glad for it. I don't hate everything Eli Roth does at all, but I, Not me neither. It, this is... It annoys me that this is what he thinks horror fans want in 2013. It's it's an embarrassment. Yeah. I utterly agree. It, it was my number seven worst film. Yeah. Oh, fuck, fuck that film. I, I'm intrigued. What's your number one? Uh, really? Really? 
it my number one I'll grow, is Grown oh, Up two. Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, and I, it, it, a film that has no plot at all, has no point, has no jokes, has not a single second where you can say that bit was alright. The rest was shite, but that bit was alright. It is pointless. Mm. It is absolutely, utterly pointless. The only point of that movie is the fact that the cast got paid more money than they did for the first one, and they all got to have a big party. It is utter, utter drivel. And fucking hell. Just seriously, like like I said last year about my number one hated film of last year, if you like Grown Up 2, you should take a long look at where you went wrong in your life that brought you to that point where you like a movie like Grown Up 2. Yeah. Obviously, I haven't seen it, but I I, I already agree with you. Yes. Right, Ian. Go on, then. What's your number one movie of the year? Blimey, Charlie. Right, okay. My number one film of the year is Derek Sion France's The Place Beyond the Pines. Um, Which, as you said, (laughs) I think it will be a future classic when it's reappraised in 10 20 years uh i think the film itself kind of suffered from maybe overexposure of ryan gosling which i think certainly affected only god forgives as well i think even worse with only god forgives i i I think people were ready to pounce and hate on it because they had too much gosling Uh, i don't think you can have too much gosling myself uh and you know what he's only in the film for the first 50 minutes anyway so hey uh, I think it's a a classical story of the sins of the father uh, coming to bear down on the uh, the son, uh, whether it be Bradley Cooper's son or uh, Ryan Gosling's son. Um, and yet it's got moments of real profound beauty to it. Um, it's got the, 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 the score by Mike Patton, I think, is absolutely spot on the opening shot i mean from a directorial point of view the opening shot is is phenomenal uh i think Derek Sion france gets great performances from everyone yes ray liotta is not doing anything new but hey if you're going to get someone for that part it may as well be ray liotta frankly um still he's still incredibly fucking creepy though yes he is absolutely he is um uh, but then, I mean, you've also, I mean, you've got Bruce Greenwood, who's who's very good in the couple of scenes he's in. You've got Ben Mendelsohn, who's great in the scenes that he's in. Uh, Dane DeHaan, who is, you know, just impressing more and more. You know, um, I just it, it, it's a film which really, really speaks to me. And I mean, I, I will say, I mean, like personally, I watched it uh, less than a week after we found out that Donna was pregnant with Lottie. And so the whole kind of the, yeah, the, the, the the focus on your kids and providing for your kids and how you're relate how you come to think of your kids can very much directly relate to how they are brought up. You know, like the fact that Bradley Cooper kind of re- like resents seeing his ki- like basically seeing his kid because he's reminded of how he's deprived a child of of his father and then how his kid grows up to be a bit of a nasty piece of work in himself but you know that's kind of not really his yeah you know, i mean that that's not really his fault it was set in stone by 
Bradley Cooper. I, I, you know, I, 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 I find that deeply profound. I think the ending is beautiful, and mm. uh, yeah, I, yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it has a real effect on me. Does the place beyond the pines, and it's a, a film I will carry with me through the decades. You know, as, as much for what it meant to me at the time of of viewing as much as it you know i mean the fact that like the first viewing was when we just found out about lottie and the second viewing was done in stages where i just had her sleeping in my arms you know uh, and i don't know it, it's a film that you know, does as cheesy as it sounds it makes me want to be a better parent just through watching that film and you know if if that's not justifying a place as my my personal top my very personal top film of 2013, I'm fine with other people not having as much of a connection with it. It's absolutely fine for me. There you go. Cool. Uh, right, my number one of the year. Um, my number one to four are almost could all have those places, but a rewatch of this one at Started rewatching it at eleven o'clock on Christmas Eve night, um, and, and watched it all um, all two hours and forty five minutes of it. Um, so into nearly two o'clock in the morning um, on Christmas Day is Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained. Oh, okay, fair play. Um, before that rewatch, this film was about number four, number five in my list. Um, but on that rewatch, it just made me just say, ah, do you know what? I just fucking love this movie too much. Yeah, sure. Sure. I've watched it. It was the it was the first film I think I watched at the cinema this year. I watched it in like the second or third week in January. In a year, I've watched it five times, six times, six times. Um... I adore Django Unchained. I adore all the performances. I adore every second. Yes, including Quentin Tarantino's Australian accent. Yeah, it's fun, man. Fuck it. I I think it's fun. It's poetic. I completely agree with the. Uh, it feels like a Superman origins bit. In fact, the bit that made me while I was watching it, and I was going, and I was watching it thinking, shit. What, can I not have this as number? Can I can I seriously put this as number two, number three, or number four? I just need to be number one. And then the scene where the smoke comes round and you see Django after he's blown up yeah, Tarantino. Yeah. At that moment, my brain just went, "Ah, oh, fuck! You know the answer to that." Yeah, yeah. Um, utterly adore this movie. Uh, it to the point of where I think it might be my favourite Tarantino. Uh, oh fuck! So I, I think I like it that much. I it, it it's just spectacular amounts of fun, but it, it still carries across a message that Tarantino wants to say in his own words. Um, and I I I think that the guy is an unbelievable talent. Um, and I can see why some people don't like his movies, uh, but to question his talent or his influence on cinema, I think would be a little bit misguided. Um, 
Tarantino's imagination and grasp of story and of, of mixing, you know, his own personality with his influences um, and his passion for homaging um, and creating his own version of pre-existing stories um, works magnificently and Django Unchained is a complete melting pot of all those things. Very nice. Cool. Right, uh, so that was our our top tens. Uh, do you want to quickly run through yours again, Ian, just to remind the people? Yeah, sure. Um, okay, so in reverse order, The Spectacular Now, All Is Lost, A Field in England, uh, The Act of Killing, uh, Only God Forgives, The Great Beauty, Before Midnight, Django Unchained, Stoker, and The Place Beyond the Pines. Cool, and mine in reverse order were Act of Killing, Only God Forgives, Stoker, Don John, Spectacular now, Pacific Rim, The Place Beyond the Pines, Filth, Mud and Django Unchained. We've got five minutes to crack through questions. Have you got them up on screen? Yeah, I do, yeah. And uh, by the way, we, we shared six out of the ten there. Did we? Yeah. 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 That's pretty good. Yeah, too right. Um, yes. Good. So, questions. At TGB73, what film currently only available on earlier formats or not at all needs a Blu, uh, Blu-ray release in 2014? Right. Adventures of Buckaroo Bounds Eye Across the Eighth Dimension, even though uh, we've got a feeling that's coming this year. Um, the Devils, I would like a Blu-ray release of, um, yeah, even though the, the BFI DVD release is excellent. And The Haunting. Yeah. Um, I'd still like um, Suburbia to come out on DVD or Blu-ray at some point. Um my one always to go to this was Streets of Fire but we got it recently which yeah. is wonderful um, oh there was one that I saw the other day uh, that's not available on Blu-ray and I couldn't believe it wasn't available on Blu-ray yet but I can't remember what it is so I'll remember and I'll tweet it out <laughs> at some point nice. um, at it was something it was something and someone mentioned it I thought no that's available on Blu-ray and checked and was like shit that's not available on Blu-ray <laughs> What all that is? I can't remember. Um, okay, at Glenn T. Chapman, which movie city slash world would you like uh, to would you like to live in with your family? Which movie city slash world? Um, it's got to be it's it's got to be um, is it Shermer at Illinois uh, that the John Hughes movies are set in? Oh, fair play, that's good. Yeah. Got to be there because they're all beautiful houses and everybody appears to just have issues but be quite nice. The world of Elf, because Santa Claus exists. <laughs> what you mean he doesn't in our world? Oh well, no, of course he does. Thank uh, you. Where else? <laughs> um, I don't know. I like, I like this world well enough. Your world's pretty great at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I like, I like world. Cool. Uh, we got any more? <laughs> uh, at Nocturne, to, uh, Nocturne Tom DJ, uh, based on 2013's output, which directors deserve to go to director jail? Uh, Argento. Argento. He, he just shouldn't work again. M. Night um, Shyamalan. Fair play. Um, the guy who directed The Host, who also did Gattaca, why is his name? Andrew Nicole. Uh, he's he's had enough chances after Gattaca and he's not doing anything. Uh, bye yeah, bye. Yes, I'll agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um, who else? 
can't think. I can't think of anybody anybody else. No, uh, no but yeah, mine would be M. Night Shyamalan because After Earth was just boring. <laughs> it was so boring it didn't even make on my bottom five. <laughs> I yeah. boring it was. I didn't hate After Earth. I didn't think it was great. There wasn't enough there to hate. Yeah, true. But no, I could, see... I could see what you mean, though. Did you see the one we got from No? No. We got one from No. I've always said one day Lindsay Lohan will surprise us all, who has similar potential to do a Mickey Rock. I, I agree with you on the Lindsay Lohan. I think she will surprise us all. But the, as more time goes by, uh, I, I think that the chances of that happening become less and less. Uh, um, uh, I, a little bit out of left field I think um, if Topher Grace could ever be not Topher Grace in a movie <laughs> I think he could surprise people because I don't think he's a bad actor I just think he's a little bit stuck in just being Topher Grace mm, mm. I think if Shia LaBeouf could stop being a cunt for a little bit, he might have a chance. Yeah, that's a what the shit if ever there was one. Um, God, I don't know. I don't know. I'm fucking... I don't know. I ge- genuinely, I don't have a clue. I hadn't seen that question before, and so I'm not entirely fucking sure. I'd like to see Charlto Copley actually kind of make good on the promise of District 9. Um, no, then again, he was... No, do you know what? I take that back because he's been good. He was great in the 80s. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Of. Never mind. I take that back. Um, I don't know. Sorry, Noel. Cool. Um, right. Uh, uh, that's it, I think, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Um, that was our, our end of year uh, spectacular. Um I think we've got some great stuff coming up uh, in 2014. Uh, Ian, what are we covering next week? 12 Years a Slave, innit? 12 Years a Slave, yes, brilliant. Um, very much looking forward to that. I know, Ian, you've already seen it. Um, but, yeah, uh, thank you much for listening in 2013. Uh, it was, I think it was a fucking great year. Yep, solid fucking year, man, defo. Yeah, um, you get the usual bit of the usual fucking dour knobheads. Um Going about saying, oh, it's been a bit of a shitty year. Fuck off. I'm happy with all the films in my 10, damn it. Yeah. Um, I, when I formulated my 10, I looked at it um, and I could pick out 30, 40 movies that I really, really liked this year. Well, last year. So hopefully 2014 uh, will be just as good. There's some fucking great movies coming up and we'll be covering a lot of them, hopefully. Definitely. Right, uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week with 12 Years of Slave. Um, feedback to um, dudeandthemonkey at gmail.com, at dudeandthemonkey on Twitter, at Ian Lauren on Twitter, at dudefoz on Twitter. Once again, Ian, congratulations on the birth of your beautiful baby. Thank girl. you, sir. And over and out. Nice. Bye.